What's it like when one of your friends on death row is led away to be executed? You have a prepaid call from William A. Sapira. An inmate at the California State Prison, San Quentin. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. I had to be a different, complete guy, which is the guy who walked the walkways of San Quentin's death row and without a gang, without a, a group of people around me, it was just me. Soon after you went into to the on death row, and you didn't really understand the prison workout system so much. But then he said, we're going to do 75 sets of it. To me, that seems extreme. So I'm wondering if there's a danger of overtraining, wearing yourself out so that you're... No, no, that's actually funny. That's funny. I'll tell you why. That's a good one, man. I'll tell you why. Because I'm going to tell you why. Because the way that you Welcome to Death Row Diaries. I am Matt Ralston. And I'm William Nogueira. And today, Bill, we have a really interesting case that we want to talk about, which is Patty Hearst. And this is a lady that was kidnapped and held for ransom. And it was a really big deal back in the day. I guess before we get into it, are there any updates on your situation or... How are you adjusting to your new confines? Only, yeah, no, only that I'm surrounded by fucking idiots now. That's basically it. I mean, seriously, at least on death row, I knew if someone disrespected somebody, they'd just get killed. Here, like, there's no filter. These guys are fucking literally idiots. I mean, can you hear the guys in the background yelling and screaming? It's just like a bunch of fucking ten-year-olds. What are they yelling about? Being stupid. They're just fucking morons. They're fucking literally retarded. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a big part of the uh, demographic. Yeah. So this story took place in 1974. Do you remember this going down? You were what? You were around. You were a young man, right? <laughs> yeah. A young man is 10 years old. But yeah, I remember the case and I've had a chance to really look over this case very carefully, it was very interesting to me that, you know, a person of this kind of prominence and with no history of any kind of criminal behavior or radical behavior uh, is basically prosecuted for what we know now to be Stockholm Syndrome. That's when a victim is taken in the, into by kidnapping, is kidnapped, is held for ransom. They are basically uh, brainwashed and today we understand what that means but in the 70s it was just something that rich people did when they didn't want to take responsibility for what they did at least according to the DA's office and they prosecuted her and gave her at one point 35 years so yeah it's, it's a very interesting case and I think that today's people who are involved in true crime that understand what Stockholm Syndrome is uh, recognizes that this is a classic case or the classic case of Stockholm syndrome. Right. So real quickly for anyone that's not familiar, I think most people have probably heard about this, but she was 19 years old. She's the granddaughter of William Randolph Hearst, who was maybe the richest person in the world at that time, or he was really up there. It's crazy that you think of that being so long ago, but Hearst still owns 
so many newspapers all over the country. Um, so yeah, she's the granddaughter, and she's a she's a rich kid. Obviously, she was attending college, and uh, so what happened? Well, you're right. She is the granddaughter of publishing magnate William Randolph Hearst. He was the owner of the largest newspaper movie business in the world. So this guy had bank. Um, her grandmother is Phoebe Hearst. She's a world-renowned philanthropist, anti-communist uh, person. She became uh, really known as like a person who helped everybody out in the world. So this is a very prominent family. And you were right. Uh, she, you know, Patty Hearst or Patricia Hearst, which how she likes to be referred to, is the third of five daughters. Uh, she attended private schools her whole life, the Crystal Springs School for the Girls, Sacred Heart School in Atherton. She then went to Santa Galina School in Monterey, Menlo College, and then she transferred to the University of Berkeley. And the crazy thing is she had no security nobody bodyguards or any she was living in berkeley in an apartment with her boyfriend when she was kidnapped it was february the 4th 1974 she was 19 years old and these this group which is just really a bunch of morons knowing the Sibonese liberation army sl sla which sounds more like saturday night live they just basically saw her knew who she was because their hideout was right there in Berkeley. And as you know, back in those days, everything was in freaking Berkeley. So it was a kidnapping, basically spur of the moment. They took her, um, they said that they had basically kidnapped her for political influence reasons. There were two SL, SLA members who were arrested for murdering a superintendent of the Oakland Public School District. One of them, his name was Russ Little, the other one was uh, Joe Ramiro, and they were in jail. And this group of, well, for lack of a better term, morons, were trying to get, to trade her for the release of their members, which, as you know, wasn't going to happen. Um, so then they switched it. These guys, this is how unorganized these clowns were, that... When that was refused, and they said, "Well, look, we're not going to re- we're not going to release anybody," but then they demanded directly from the family of Patricia Hearst that she donate, or they donate seventy dollars of food to every needy Californian. Well, the cop in nineteen seventy four would have been about four hundred million, which is ridiculous. Then the father, you know, loving his daughter, obviously. He took out $2 million worth of uh, a loan, which again, in 1974, was an extraordinary amount of money, and he gave it to the poor in the Bay Area. The project was called People in Need. So I'm, I think I'm, this is basically what happened to begin with, Matt. Does this sound familiar to you? Yeah, yeah. So this is a leftist Marxist group. There were groups like this running around at this time. I think while they did have some activity, I get the impression a lot of them were kind of posers or just like, you know, living in a commune, 
house and then their political activities were kind of secondary, but I wasn't there. I just, I don't take them that seriously. Well, yeah, in today's market, political market, if you want to call it political agenda driven markets, yeah, these guys would be considered clowns, but they were dangerous. They had killed the person already. They had these, you know, twisted sense of, uh, what liberation was, and it was in the 70s, so the Vietnam War was coming to an end, and these kind of groups popped up all the time, spilling all this garbage about freedom and what they believe things when they come up with names like Sibonesian Liberation Army, just a bunch of freaking morons, basically, but they're dangerous. No matter how much of an idiot is standing in front of you, he's got a gun, he's dangerous. So they... Uh, they basically took her to this hideout and they blindfolded her. And, you know, they, they start pushing these these ideas on her. And at some point, they began to push this idea where if you have a choice of joining us or us killing you. And, and this is where the prosecutor in this case really, I believe, dropped the ball. Because obviously, Patricia Hurst being a, you know, sheltered child, of one of the richest men in the world, uh, you know, she's she's being gang raped. She has been, uh, food is being withheld from her, water is being withheld from her, unless she attends these classes that in this group are teaching their propaganda and this garbage. So, you know, at some point in this, you know, tragedy she's going through, and I mean, imagine being gang raped by a bunch of freaking morons. So suddenly, two months after this abduction that things, this group doesn't get what they want, she does what you've seen prisoners of war do. Uh, she emerges in a video claiming to be Tania, this new name she's taken on, and she has now joined forces with the SLA and become this radical. Well, you remember and you've seen some of our combat soldiers that go to you know, the army and then, and then they, they get captured by whoever's out there in Iraq, Iran. And then after a few months, they pop up on a, on a screen, on a video, and they're talking about how the United States is a horrible place and that they, they denounced citizenship to the United States and they joined this group. We know this is not, this is, they're being forced to do this under the threat of murder. So this is exactly what happened to Patricia Hearst. Uh, and, and we see that she does things that upset people, Matt. She, on April 15, 1974, on video, she is shown with an M1 rifle and she's robbing the Sunset District Bank. And in this moment, she yells, I'm Tania up against the wall, motherfuckers. And around that time, two men enter the bank and they are shot by part of this group, this SLA group or SL group. And look, this is perfect case of a woman who is not a soldier, a person who is not trained to basically to fight. And she is brainwashed, she is raped to doing the, to in coercion to do these things. And this is a result. She's in a bank, she's robbing, but right away, the people in law enforcement, at least most of them, and I mean by the prosecutors, 
immediately saying that she is, and by the way, just so you know, the DA at the time, or the Attorney General at that time in 1974, he indicted her as a common criminal. He called her a common criminal. And we know that's completely wrong because we know today, in hindsight, we know what happened to her. Right. But that wasn't really the commonly held belief at the time so much, or at least there was a lot of debate because, you know, um, like seeing the famous photo of her with the gun, with the bandolier, and she's robbing a bank and, and the, you know, a sort of counter narrative was that she was just shedding her rich girl persona and was hooking up with all these guys and wanted to you know just do something crazy for a while and live that life for a while well that's exactly right and as i said ignorance is bliss back then in 1974 they didn't understand these the particulars of stockholm syndrome they didn't understand what it was so of course the first thing you want to do is they want to politically do the correct thing and call her, call her a common criminal. Look, she's on video. She's got a gun. If she was uh, against these people or not with them, she could use that gun to fight her way out of it. Well, that's an ignorant point of view. You have a rich girl. She's being gang raped. Food is being withheld from her. No water. Um, and actually, when she was eventually arrested, she only weighed 85 pounds. And now we know the classic syndrome and what the classic signs are or the, 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 the classic uh, symptoms of the syndrome are. One of them is weight loss. The other one is nightmares, headaches. All these things that she exhibited were in plain sight. And that's why I call this case the classic case or the classic case of Stockholm syndrome. She was a victim, and yet the prosecution, law enforcement, tagged her as a common criminal, and they were absolutely wrong. You have 60 seconds remaining. Let me call it back to this thing. Cuts off that. Williams Day, up here. An inmate at the California State Prison, Corcoran, Corcoran, California. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. You have a prepaid call. You will not be charged for this call. To accept this call, say or... Thank you for using Global Tail Link. Hey, man, I'm back. Hey. Yes, yeah, so... She's involved in this bank robbery, and... I guess it looks bad from the outside to a sort of untrained observer... And now she's on the run with these guys, kind of just just on the road as a fugitive. Yeah, there's a number of incidents that happen after this that kind of confirm what the prosecution was saying. Which, again, if you're ignorant to Stockholm Syndrome, you say, okay, they're doing exactly what criminals do. A month later, on May the 16th, William Harris and Emily which were a couple, they go into a sporting goods store or some type of store where they're sporting memorabilia and equipment sold. And this guy, William, is seen sticking something into his pocket. The managers follow him outside and there's a confrontation. The, he basically drops a handgun from his waistband 
according to reports, Patricia Hertz then pulls out a weapon and fires over the head of the uh, manager and his uh, employee to allow William Harris to escape. Um, so this again is, you can see a pattern here and a pattern that most prosecutors at that time would say, look, this is evidence that she's continuing criminal behavior, but that's not true. What she's experiencing is Stockholm Syndrome. One of the most famous cases about this is Elizabeth Smart, the young woman who was kidnapped by one of these freaking cult perverts, took her, was raping her, and, and later on you see her in public with his wife and himself walking with there's numerous people she could have run to and said please help me but she doesn't she is acting in accordance to his laws because he's now brainwashed her and she is exhibiting classic symptoms of stockholm syndrome we are not at this point in any way shape or form accusing elizabeth smart of being part of that cult we understand what it is and this is what is not happening to patty hurts they're immediately turned again the public has turned on her because this D is spilling all this garbage out there, and we know it's not true. So, but you know, she continues on this particular rampage, which is again part of this, the syndrome. She then is um, she then makes an explosive device, which actually doesn't go off, and she drives away in a getaway car. So she becomes this fugitive that the prosecution is labeling as now a member of this group, and it's completely untrue. She is um, finally in September 18, 1975. Now this is a year after she is finally arrested after doing all these different crimes. The prosecution is labeling her a common criminal, and there is a huge shootout. Um, the police believe that she is at this hideout. They, they go there. There are other members there. There is a classic shootout. They die, and she has actually runs. They finally arrest her, as I mentioned, in September 18, 1975, with a few other members, and she's taken into custody, which, again, they immediately treat her like a common criminal, and she is basically a, school, a scared teenager who has been gang-raped, barred, uh, physically abused, and now she's in jail, and the cops are basically treating her the same way. Yet law enforcement, I guess it was a big priority to rescue her, or was it just that they wanted to uh, take out, you know, these fugitive bank robbers? Well, if you remember back there in 1974, this was big news. It was Randolph Hearst's daughter, granddaughter and she's now a radical and they wanted to apprehend her because she was treated as a common criminal so much so that when she was arrested she was charged with all of these um with bank robbery use of a firearm and all of these different crimes that were associated making an explosive device all these things so they treated her just like if she were in fact a uh, member of the Lebanese liberation army at this point, her defense seems pretty obvious, but I'm not sure, um, you know, how that was kind of mediated. Well, back then, there was a uh, right to discovery by defense, which is you can ask the prosecution what they have. But the prosecution 
it was a secret whatever the defense had so they didn't really put it out there that she was brainwashed or she was suffering from because they didn't know what stockholm syndrome was back in 1974 so they prosecuted her in a year after that november in uh, november 1976 she's out on bail um She's trying to get an appeal, uh, a trial going. She's trying to get herself in a position to take a deal. They're not offering anything. And she is basically, she goes to trial and she loses. And the judge in charge is trying to give her, or they're trying to give her 35 years in prison, which they actually do. Um, she bails out to try and fight this on bond. But in 1978, May, they revoke her bond because her appeals had run out and they really stuck her with 37 or 35 years in prison. But the judge that had sentenced her actually died. So another judge named Oric ended up lowering the sentence and gave her seven years. Now, during this time, she has serious medical issues that are all tied to Stockholm syndrome. She has, while she's in prison, she has a collapsed lung. She has emergency surgery. And I guess they felt a little bad for her. She's out on bail, but they throw her right back in. And now this time they give her seven years and she goes to prison. You know, of course her family's working on her behalf. And uh, Jimmy Carter steps in after 22 months in prison. Prison, but listen, let's, let's look at this for what it is. Teenage girl who's been gang raped, she's been starved, she's been physically abused, and they give her 22 months in prison, more kidnapping, more hostage situation, and she'd already spent all this time with these morons from this SLA group. And so after, of course, 22 months in prison and a conviction, she's released in February 22nd of 1979. And the case basically dies down. No one really talks about Patty Hearst at the time. It was a very big issue. She ends up getting married with one of the, the bodyguard details that they assigned to her, who was a former law enforcement officer. And she marries him. She has two children. And then finally, it, it looks like the political wheels of being Randolph Hearst's granddaughter kick in. Because now you have Jimmy Carter, after 22 months, basically Let's her out of prison, commute her sentence. And then in uh, 2001, on January 20, Bill Clinton, another president, steps in and pardons her. So her record is expunged. So a lot of people are going to look at that and say, well, Jesus Christ, those guys in prison have never got an action like that. They have two presidents step in and one to commute the sentence, the other one to pardon them. But let's not lose sight of the fact that she was an innocent child that was kidnapped and all kinds of horrible things happened to her. So I, that she got pardoned seems to be the right thing to do. I think justice at some point in this thing, which you can't take back what happened to her, but at some point she at least got a bit of justice that she was pardoned and that's off her record. So was she disavowing this group after she was apprehended or does it take a while to I don't know deprogram someone 
Well, it takes a while to deprogram them. Stockholm syndrome is real, and it affects a lot of people differently. As you know, people use certain kind of drugs all the time, and nothing happens to them. Another person uses it one time, and they collapse. So you have different people that respond differently. It took her a while to deprogram her because, remember, she's afraid for her life. These clowns are raping her. And look, rape is not an act of love. It's an act of violence. And so it took a while for her to be deprogrammed. But what immediately was she was brainwashed. Of course, they didn't have that term. They didn't have the medical people to come in and say, look, this is a classic case of a person being brainwashed by violence. She didn't have that kind of those type of uh, doctors around, although she did have a psychiatrist testify on her behalf, but the prosecution brought in another prosecutor or a prosecutor witness that said that's all bullshit. This is the way rich people get out of things. Yes, yeah, so this is many years later. She's no longer a teenage young woman. She's nearly 70 years old. Um, so now she understands what happened, right? Well, she does understand what happened, but look, you can't take away that nightmare that she experienced. As I said, rape is a very violent uh, event. It's all about violence. So even after being a woman who's now, I believe, close to 70 years old, I'm willing to, to say that she's having nightmares still, that she still experiences what she went through. Although she knows that, look, that part of her life is over with, that's a very traumatic or tra- uh, uh, yeah, a traumatic event in a life that held trauma to her brain. Her system experienced great trauma for those three or four years that she was involved in this. And I believe that today she probably still suffers from nightmares. She probably has migraines. She probably wakes up at night. It's classic cases like this that let people understand that PTSD is a very real thing. We see people go to war, they experience PTSD, and they never outlive that. They're 70, 80 years old. They're still waking up in cold sweats because of what they went through. I'm willing to bet that Patty Hearst also experienced PTSD, and today she is still living that life. I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around why this was not questioned a little bit more in uh, during the time that it happened, because it seems like the biggest true crime saga prior to this you know in america was the whole manson ordeal and i think there's some parallels between those women being brainwashed and and patty hearst right because they they did still commit the crimes like she she did physically commit the crimes um but of course what people are concerned about is the reason why so um I'm not really understanding why it was so much of a foreign concept with the media and, and the narrative. Well, remember at this time, you also have, you know, all these, you know, after Margol and Ethelie Bailey, all these huge uh, names in the, the attorney world that were coming up with the quick Twinkie case, the guy who murdered the people, this one person, and he had a Twinkie defense, saying he ate too many Twinkies. So, Remember, back then in the 70s, a lot of people thought that rich people got off very easy, which they do. You know this. So the reason that this was such a foreign concept or people looked at it as, you know, you had a video of her robbing a bank. 
the Manson case came forward at that time, and they did not consider those girls to be innocent bystanders. That bystanders that Charles uh, or Charles Manson was able to manipulate. They were called Charlie's witches for a reason because they believed that they were just as evil as he was. So this probably worked against her in 1974. This is right after the Manson thing. This is big news in Los Angeles, San Francisco. People probably thought it's the same kind of stuff. It doesn't matter how innocent you look. There's a video of you robbing a bank. You're probably guilty. Let me call back. Hey, Matt. Yeah. So yeah, of course it's gonna be okay. a it's gonna be a big story regardless because she's this really wealthy heiress that's been kidnapped, and that's that's a interesting newsworthy story on its own. But what's much more interesting is if she joins the group that kidnapped her voluntarily and goes on this murder spree. Like that's a much better story if we're just talking like fictional story, right? Yeah, it's a better story, but that she joined the group, she really didn't join. This is, it was forced upon her. Um, and as I said before, we, we've seen this happen with prisoners of war, men who are just doing whatever they can to survive the situation. Uh, it being a prisoner of war and you put out a sign saying America is a horrible country. And we've seen it a number of times, American soldiers doing this and speaking all this. And we had a famous case a few years ago, the guy was blinking in more this code. I'm not doing this purposely, please help me. But he was talking what they were telling him to say. She was afraid for her life. Patricia Hurst is a victim in this situation. And obviously uh, Bill Clinton, as well as Carter, you know, saw it for what it was. Did, did he have some political muscle in your grandfather? Absolutely. But we know today that Patricia Hearst was as much a victim to this crime than anything else. She did not join that group voluntarily. You don't join a group voluntarily when they get gang rape you, they hold food, and they physically abuse you. It doesn't matter what she says with her mouth. This is a, That's why it's Stockholm Syndrome. Although she was not for this she didn't look she didn't go and join this army in her own volition she was going to school at berkeley studying she was an arts major or gonna be an arts major and they kidnapped her she did not go out looking for this what happened after that is something of course in 1974 we didn't understand that we do today that mental health issues are something that are very prominent and can happen and we know ptsd is a real thing we know that Stockholm Syndrome is a real thing. So for anyone to say that Patricia Hearst was volunteering or that she joined on her own, uh, you know, with her own mental faculties at 100% is just, well, let me just say it, it's a fucking moron, okay? Look, I'm a very conservative person, you know I am, but I call it when it's black is black, when it's white is white. I don't like, um, bullshitting my way to get someone to say, well, yeah, you know, he's a conservative, so he's going to stick to saying that Patty Hearst is a bad person. I go with the facts. You know, I'm an independent conservative with, based on common sense. And this case tells me from what everything I've seen, everything I've studied, which is more than 40 years experience in these type of cases and, and, and true crime from a real perspective, the criminal perspective, this is a classic case of Stockholm Syndrome, and Patty Hearst should be looked upon as a victim. And that's as simple as I can put it. 
Have you ever met anyone in prison who either was a victim of Stockholm Syndrome or claimed to be? No. No, I have not met a person in that uh, thing. And I'm sure there's critics out there going, aha, he actually has never met a person. So I, look, you don't have to actually meet a person to read all the symptoms and what happened to a young woman. And this is a perfect case right here. There are guys in prison that, look, they suffer from PTSD. And, and, they, and it's real because of the violence in prison, or at least the violence that I've seen in prison. Um, I've been asked that question a number of times. Do you believe you may suffer from PTSD? I'm not one to self-diagnose myself, but there is a possibility that I have or do suffer from PTSD. Um, I have some of the the classic um, symptoms of it. I don't know that to be true, um, but I know it's real. And I know people that have suffered from it, that have been war veterans, that have come out, have committed crimes, come to prison, and they exhibit all the classic uh, symptoms, and no one's watching them. It's just... It's like when, when, when I interview serial killers and they don't know I'm interviewing them. I'm just talking to them. Most people that come out of their war veterans, they come to prison because they've committed a crime. I'm not saying that there should be excuse for what they did, but we must take in consideration that PTSD is real and it affects someone's behavior, their mental state, and it is a mental health issue. Yeah, so regardless of whether or not you have a few symptoms, but you've obviously seen some pretty crazy stuff. So what would the symptoms be in a, a previously mentally healthy person who's suffering from extreme PTSD? Well, there's all the classic loss of weight. Um, there is also the nightmares at night, cold sweats, um, you're always paranoid. You're thinking people are going to do you wrong. There's all these different uh, uh, you know, headaches, uh, blinding. You can't see that the, the migrants are so bad. You you, have, you can't see light. Um, and I said you can't sleep. Uh, you're constantly thinking that people are. You know, they're almost like paranoid schizophrenic, almost. And you believe things are happening that are not real or you go right back to the moment when the event was taking place or events and you in that moment it takes a lot of willpower to get out of that moment and not respond physically or violently because you believe in your mind that that event is taking place at that particular moment so those are some of the signs and classic things I've seen guys go through specifically war veterans that have come to prison and it's not it's nothing nice so, Bill, it does get people's attention that she was pardoned by two presidents. That's, um, well, I should say her sentence was commuted by Carter, but she was pardoned by Clinton, and so that gets people's attention. But do you think that was the right thing to do? Absolutely. Absolutely. She is a victim in this crime. Um, the crimes that she committed um, were... It's like putting a gun to your head and saying, I want you to rob that bank. And the gun's at your head. Or you see a bank manager and they tell him, you're going to open that safe or we're going to kill your child. And they have a gun to his child. That bank manager is not uh, 
a person who's guilty. He's not complicit to what's going on. So uh, that two presidents came up to her. Yeah, she got a bit, a bit of of, uh, of attention because who her grandfather is. Uh, people are going to interpret that. Well, look, the rich always get their way. It's not about that. It's about the victim in this crime. And the victim in this crime were obviously the person that were robbed in the bank and the people they lost their lives. But Patricia Hearst was also a victim. So in my opinion, that she was committed by Jimmy Carter was the least they could do. She should never have been charged with anything. They should have seen her for what it was. Her received mental uh, health uh, help, and she should have been immediately let loose. That Bill Clinton came in later on and pardoned her, Again, the least they could have done for the ordeal she went through. Yeah, well, it's really interesting, and I really wasn't expecting your stance to be so, uh, you know, so decided. But it's been informative as always. So, want to remind everyone to check out uh, Instagram and Facebook. That's Death Row Diaries. Check out our Patreon page at Death Row Diaries, where we're going to continue talking about. Uh, well, some other billionaires, Barry and Honey Sherman, and we're going to keep talking about that on the Patreon like we did last week, and I know you have a lot of thoughts on that, so we'll uh, check that out. Until then, I've been Matt Ralston. And I'm William Nagara. Be safe, be aware of your surroundings, your life could depend on it. We'll see you next time.